So I'd like to continue to unfold our uh, exploration uh, of our practice. And acknowledging, as I do so, that, um, you know, we're, we're in different places. Yeah, this whole, uh, over the day, over the days, uh, our experiences, um, have a lot of commonality, but they also have quite a range and maybe, maybe quite different. One thing that um, perhaps becomes uh, more available as we get more gathered, uh, more uh, unified, perhaps more resourced in our attention, uh, one thing that uh, begins to be uh, available to us is a clarity of seeing. We see more clearly what is unfolding in our experience. It's very moving in the groups today (laughs) to to notice that. Um, And so that's one thing I'd like to just put there. As we become more gathered, even if we don't think we are more gathered yet, uh, there's more clarity of seeing. And um, the other thing that I'd like to, to put out here, and I will probably say this again through the talk, is um, that we also become uh, perhaps more skilled at remembering that there is a way of relating shaping experience. This moment of experience is also shaped by uh, the way of relating. And that opens up possibilities of response. So as we practice, as we get more gathered, um, as we become become more familiar with our experience and how it unfolds, how it appears, um, we might notice some uh, quite common and particular ways of relating to experience that uh, arise. And they might be particularly obvious when there's some degree of dukkha in the experience. Yeah. Might not be feeling uh, so at ease with our experience and yeah. quite likely that one of the following is present. Okay, I'm just going to mention them. And as I mention them, I'm also going to invite you uh, to do two things. One is, if this has appeared in your experience today, to raise your hand. And the other is, as you're checking, was this present and raising your hand to look around (laughs) what other people are doing. Okay, two invitations. So, did anyone notice aversion arising to something today. Don't forget to look around. (laughs) Okay. Did anyone notice desire arising, uh, wanting something that's not here? Anyone um, notice restlessness, agitation, that family? Yeah. 
Anyone notice uh, sluggishness, dullness, sleepiness, low energy? (laughs) Woo! (laughs) And did anyone notice uh, a flavor of doubt or confusion come up once in a while? Yeah. Yeah, great. So, yeah. Already we could stop here. (laughs) We've done the important work. Um, but, you know, this is the entertainment bit of the day. So I will uh, honor our contract and do my best to entertain and hopefully be a bit useful as well. So one thing that we could al- already see, yeah, these ways of relating, looking at experience, these um, habits of the heart and mind, one thing we could see is they're not personal. Yeah, Did we see that? <laughs> Yes. And yet when we reflect on our experience, when they are there, when they appear, they feel pretty personal, don't they? This is happening to me, or this is me or mine. They're not personal, they're not mine. Actually, habits of the human heart and mind. Habits of the human heart and mind. And if we could remember that more often, it brings a lot of relief. We could feel it in the hall a few minutes ago when we were doing that. Just the sense of, oh, look, even the teachers are raising their hands. The Buddha would raise their hand if they could. So aspects of the human heart and mind um, also really, really helpful to remember and re-remember that um, these habits of the human heart and mind um, don't need to have the final word on our experience. When they arise, they are very convincing. Very convincing. And there's a sense of this is how it is. Yeah. This is it, and this is how it is, and it's going to be like this. Yeah. Well, this is who I am. But actually, we can train ourselves, yeah, train ourselves again and again to see these are workable, just like everything else. They're workable. Uh, we can attend to them in skillful ways. And so again, these five, yeah, in the tradition called the hindrances, I will come back to that. Um, the desire and aversion, yeah. two sides of the same coin. When there's desire for something, there's aversion for something. When there's aversion to something, there's desire for something. Yeah, We don't often notice that. We can be quite cool to play that game. The restlessness, the high energy, the dullness and tiredness and sluggishness, and the doubt. Each of them, they arise on a spectrum. So they can be very, very gross. They can be very, very uh, strong and obvious. You know, when we're sitting here and we're feeling so sleepy that this is happening. 
friend once said to me that she calls this saying yes to life. <laughs> such a, you know, huh, change the way of relating, right? From a problem, it's like, oh yeah, I'm just saying yes to life. Come on, life, <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So from that gross appearance yeah, to, uh, you know, just a, a subtle dullness. Low energy, just coming as a very light flavor of dullness. Yeah, it's one spectrum, from falling asleep to just feeling dull. Yeah, not energized to some degree. Or you know, from feeling a mild irritation, yeah, mild irritation, to um, feeling very angry. It's the same thing, it's a version, but it's coming with different intensity. So it's helpful to see that. Ah, Each of them has a range in how they appear. And so, yeah, these hindrances, these ways of uh, relating to experience that come up in the heart and mind, these conditionings, they come, yeah, and we acknowledge that they're not personal. Um, but we're also interested, as we are, <laughs> in general, what are possible ways of relating to the hindrances that I can cultivate, that I can bring? Yeah? In particular, are there ways of relating that um, might lead away from the dukkha and towards the well-being? That's always our question. Maybe light, maybe more uh, powerful. So I want to offer a few ways to to see... um, Hindrances when they appear, and then also there'll be there'll be a tips and tricks section as well. Um, so sometimes just recognizing when there's a hindrance. We actually already had one. That was the not personal. <laughs> That's a great way of relating. I just named that, but I've got three more. Yeah. When the hindrances appear, when there's a hindrance, just seeing it as dukkha. Yeah? Seeing it as dukkha. This is not very nice. Yeah? Or, you know, this is hard to bear. Yeah? Or this is challenging. And just that word, ah, this is dukkha. This is what it is, it's dukkha. And we'll get to why this is useful <laughs> in, a, in a little bit. Yeah? This is dukkha. And part of why this is useful, because when these hindrances appear, because we take them personally, we get into a relationship of reactivity and struggle with them. This shouldn't be like this. Or this says something about me. And when we just say, ah, this is dukkha, can take some of the struggle out of the experience. Another way that we can look at the hindrances 
is to see them as activities, as happenings that condition dukkha. So when this is here, this can contribute to more dukkha unfolding. So, um, you know, we can see if we're uh, practicing and wishing to uh, be gathered, be unified, you know, have that elusive or not so elusive well-being, depending on the time of day, um, then we might find, oh, this restlessness is leading away from that. It's an obstruction to that, which is one way it's spoken of or an obscuration. So we can start to see when hindrances are present, they color our perception a certain way. Now that's part of why they condition dukkha. Now the opposite of the clarity I was talking about in the beginning. It's a beautiful um, simile of the Buddha when he um, um, gives the image of the mind as a pool of water or a pot of water. That's quite still and quite clear. And then uh, they say, the Buddha says, when a desire is present, it's like someone threw some colored dye into the water. So it becomes what we see. We see through the dye. We see through the desire. When there's a virgin present, it's as if the water is boiling in that pool or that pot. So again, we can start to see, this imagery for me is very powerful. But then what we see is through the boiling water, through the steam. When restlessness um, is there, it's as if there's a strong wind blowing and there's waves on top of the pool. And again, we don't see clearly through the water because being obscured. When dullness is there, uh, it's as if there's a, you know, vegetation growing all over the surface of the pool and suffocating it. Such a great image. <laughs> Stagnant water. And when doubt is there, they're all great images actually. When doubt is there, it's as if someone put their hand into the pool and kind of touched the bottom and stirred it around so the whole pool got murky and uh, muddy. That great image for doubt and confusion. And so, yeah, this is really helpful. We see, ah, when a hindrance is present and it's not recognized, it becomes... What we see experience through becomes the way that we're relating to experience. That shapes experience and quite likely will shape experience towards dukkha. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we've had seeing them as dukkha, seeing them as conditioning dukkha. And the third yeah, is seeing them as gifts that alert us to possibilities of response, that decrease dukkha. So we're turning it around, we're flipping it around. We're saying, hey, hindrance, thanks for coming. (laughs) Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to see how can I respond to this in ways that decrease dukkha. And this is 
based on the recognition yeah, that dukkha is arising, dukkha is here, dukkha is conditioned. Yeah, it's conditioned. Because it's conditioned, it's changeable. It's reliant on causes and conditions. If we change the conditions, the experience will change. And so just seeing this as a gift and saying, ah, here's an opportunity to see what possibilities of response are here that will decrease dukkha and at the same time deepen insight, deepen understanding experientially, how this is conditioned, how this is shaped, that it is conditioned, and how we can attend to it. So as we can see with all of these, the first step yeah, in any skillful way of working with hindrances is to recognize that they're here. Yeah. Recognize that they're here. Ah, it's a hindrance. And then to remember there are possibilities, yeah, there are upgrades, yeah, from the hindrance experience. Yeah. There's upgrades available, and they don't cost extra money, like on a flight. Yeah. And so, as we engage yeah, in this way, uh, we're bringing in the same tools that we've been using, yeah, the interest. The humor, we never named humor as a tool. Hopefully that's kind of obvious, but let's name it. Yeah, the lightness, yeah, the humor, which helps not to take things personally. Yeah. The sense of care, sense of kindness. Remember, this is, yeah, for my own well-being. Doing it as an act of kindness. The playfulness, the patience, yeah, the perseverance, all of these come into play and, and they really support us. In this, in this practice. And we can see that in all these ways yeah, of meeting the hindrances that I've mentioned, remembering they're not personal, seeing them as dukkha, seeing them as conditioning dukkha, and seeing them as gifts and opportunities to transform dukkha. In all of those, what are we doing? Yeah, we're changing the way of relating. And through that, we're loosening the degree of identification with experience and the entanglement into that particular um, story, that particular pattern. And we're opening up more perspective and more agency. So let's talk a little bit more about dukkha. Four noble truths that some of you may be uh, familiar with. Um, They ask a very interesting question. Dukkha is part of the human condition. And then the question is, what does dukkha depend on? What does it arise with? When there is dukkha, what else is there? Very important question for us as human beings. And through that questioning, through that understanding, a way opens up for us of undoing that conditioning, undoing uh, that pattern, the build-up of dukkha. 
And so one thing that we can see, and I'm pretty sure we've already said it, yeah, is that dukkha arises with a sense of demand and reactivity. Yeah. When there's dukkha, watch your experience. Yeah. There's a sense of, I want more of that, and I don't have it, or I want to get rid of that. Yeah, the push and pull, the demand for me. Yeah. And it can be about anything. I want the weather to be like this. Yeah. I want the weather to be like that. Yeah. Last time I was at Guy House, they made that really good whatever. Yeah. I really hope it's there when I get to the lunch key. Yeah. Right. Demand. Yeah. yeah, you're laughing. Some of the cooks at Guy House, they know exactly what I like. And they don't make it. <laughs> Joking, the opposite, they do. <laughs> but anyway, happens when you're here so much. Um, but we see that sense of demand, yeah, on, on our, on our experience and how that correlates. And this is something, you know, really with lightness, with humor, with kindness, yeah, really worth seeing, really worth seeing so that we embody that insight more and more. So dukkha depends, it rises with, when it's there, this demand and reactivity will be there, this push-pull on experience. Yeah, which in the teachings is called tanha, often translated as craving, yeah, thirst. And the interesting thing is, if we can reduce the craving, we reduce the dukkha. Yeah. Yeah, when the craving goes down, the dukkha goes down. When the push-pull goes down, the dukkha goes down. When the demand on experience goes down, the dukkha goes down. Yeah. And that can happen through changing how we're relating to experience. Changing how we're relating to experience. And we've all had moments of this over the days already and certainly heard it from some of you. Um, but yeah. And so we can say that part of what we've been doing in the practice so far yeah, is we've been practicing in a way that reduces that craving. Yeah? Because we've been opening to the well-being in our meditation, in the immediate experience, in a way that does not push or pull on it. Yeah? But reducing that. We can also say yeah, that when there's an experience of well-being, yeah, when we feel at ease, when we feel, uh, you know, some degree of pleasantness coming from the practice. You might notice that the hindrances are pretty quiet. Yeah, you notice that? Sometimes we don't even remember they exist. Then when they come back again, we're like, whoa! And so, one way we can describe, yeah, deeper and deeper states of well-being in our practice is the absence or the quietening down of hindrances. Yeah. And so that becoming sensitive to well-being and uh, developing the capacity to sustain attention with it is a way to calm the hindrances down. Yeah. Calm the hindrances down. It's kind of doing it through the back door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, 
it's helpful to know that. Yeah. It's helpful to know that lightly, yeah, in our big map of, of what we're doing in practice. Also helpful to remember, and we probably already know this after two days of, of being on retreat, that it doesn't always work. Yeah. Like anything, yeah. There are conditions. Yeah, we may sit here, you know, our last meditation, we may have been really all abuzz with well being, and we come back and suddenly, you know, there's aversion, there's restlessness, there's doubt, yeah. there's tiredness alongside the restlessness. Who knew they both could be there at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, conditions, experience is conditioned, not all conditions are in our control. Yeah. So sometimes we practice through the uh, well-being and the hindrances go down, the dukkha goes down. And sometimes yeah, we need to work with them directly because they are the dominant thing that appears. And so there's not a hierarchy here. We would say, yes, when it's possible, go to the well-being, go to the well-being, go to the well-being. If the hindrance becomes strong, yeah, taking over the experience, then we work with the hindrance. Because we can. They're very convincing <laughs> Yeah? But we can work with them skillfully. Yeah? So just to kind of say again that appearance or absence of hindrances is not a linear thing. Yeah? Practice is not a linear thing. There's a definitely a progression, there's definitely kind of a development that happens, but it's not all going in one direction. Yeah? There's ups and downs in it. Conditions change, the experience changes, including the weather. Yeah, I I felt more sleepy today. Yeah, first half of the day was really cloudy and overcast. I get more sleepy. Yeah, it's it's conditioned. Yeah? My experience is conditioned. How nice it is to know that. Yeah, not think I'm doing something uh, wrong. So we're interested yeah, to get skillful with the hindrances and to make that movement yeah, from reactivity, yeah, from the reactivity of just either pushing them away, yeah, wanting to get rid of them, or just you know, going with them, two possibilities of response. Yeah? This is the movement that we're making, from reactivity to possibilities of response, options of response. And part of it is in how we see things, how we see it, how we relate. So already talked a little bit about desire and aversion, that we can see them as two sides of the same coin. I also want to talk a little bit about the relationship between um, too much energy and too little. So what we know as agitation and restlessness in the mind and the body, and other side of that continuum, now that's too much energy, <laughs> not enough calm. Other side of the continuum, too much calm, not enough energy. And we fall asleep. Yeah? The mind is dull, the body's tired. Yeah? So these two are also uh, in relationship uh, with each other. And it can be interesting to kind of think about, okay, what's the opposite of, you know? So, um, opposite of agitation would be calm or tranquility. 
The opposite of dullness would be uh, vibrancy or aliveness. And so kind of we think, ah, yes, what's that state of balance? Nathan calls it vibrant tranquility. Yeah, I think that's you. But maybe you picked it up from someone else, who knows? Yeah. Vibrant tranquility. And again, when we think about vibrant tranquility, yeah, listen with your being when I say that. Vibrant tranquility. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, that's the kind of well-being that we kind of experience in meditation, yeah, that vibrant tranquility. And I get these embarrassing things. I just think about these states. I say them and I start smiling like a, yeah, goofball. Uh, yeah. And so this gives us a sense of what we're looking for, right? If, yeah, there's the dullness and the agitation are two sides of an imbalance between calm and energy. And now we get to say, okay, how do we play with calm and energy? How do we play with vibrancy and tranquility to get to um, a good balance for now? <laughs> because it's not like we get the recipe and then we just follow it, you know, and it's always the same. Yeah. been making yogurt recently in my great mission to be as plastic-free as possible. I've been making soya yogurt, and it's like, yeah, conditions, right? You make the soya milk, and then you kind of wait for it to cool down, but one day it will take half an hour to get down to 42 degrees, and one day it will get, it will take, you know, 45 minutes, yeah? Because the temperature's not the same. So conditions, and the same with our experience, we're playing, playing. We have these great recipes, and then we need to play and attend in the moment. So how do we energize dullness? How do we uh, soothe and calm restlessness? Yeah, this is, these, these are the materials that we're playing with. That's what we're baking or making yogurt with or whatever imagery you, you want to, to play with. Yeah? How do we do that? And so the wisdom comes in because we need to play, to pay attention yeah, in a wise, attentive way to start to learn this. Start to learn this. Sometimes it's a bit like what I imagine alchemy to be like, you know, like being a bit of a magician. And we're playing with the materials to get, um, to get the equilibrium, to get the good balance. And, um, there are a few components that we can really look at. One is the amount of space. Yeah? How much space is there in the experience? So, when there's agitation and restlessness, yeah, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Because you will probably find that there's a lot of energy yeah, in not enough space. And so when there's agitation and we want to calm it down, yeah, we can open up the space right, we've been doing. Maybe to the whole body as we've been doing. Might need more space we open up to the whole room. That same degree of energy and more space is less agitated. Right? Makes sense? Like the physics experience we experiments we used to do in school. So we're playing with the amount of space. 
When there's more space, what happens to the agitation? Maybe it also starts to make sense why we kind of um, emphasize that spaciousness in attention. We can play with the breath. This has been coming up in the in the question and response times, but it's kind of now we're going to uh, bring it all together in one place, hopefully, and blow your minds with information. Let's pause. So we can use the breath. We can breathe in a way that is energizing. Or we can emphasize the aspects of the breath that are energizing. Or as we were playing today with breathing through different parts of the body, we may have noticed if I breathe from a certain place, it's more energizing or it's more soothing if I want the opposite. Or up and down. There's lots of ways we can play. Uh, with the breath, the body posture, yeah, space in the body, opening the chest, yeah, standing if we need more energy, if we want to energize, yeah? light that came in, imagining light coming in, yeah, and either soothing the agitation or energizing, yeah, the dullness. So we start to see, ah, yes, we have these ways, and if we remember. This is workable, yeah, and it's worth doing, yeah. And we get the energy, we get the interest to do it and to engage in that way. Desire and aversion, yeah, ways of working with them. Just seeing the two sides of the of the coin can be really, for me, that's so cool, yeah, because it opens up the space immediately. If I feel an aversion to something, I think, okay, what's the desire? Yeah. Less identification, space opens up, less contraction, less dukkha, less demand, all of this. Um, with desire, a sense of contentment. Yeah. Is there anything, any contentment, any gratitude here, right now? Any generosity yeah, that I can play with? Sometimes it can be counterintuitive, but it may be a sense of, I really want that. And we can just say, okay... I'm just going to give that, which I don't have, but I want. I'm going to imagine giving it away to someone else and making them really happy. So we take what's already here and we twist it, we turn it into something that has a completely different energy. A comfortable, soothing breath. Or a kind of spaciousness of the listening. Really, really helpful. With the version... Um, usually, yeah, with aversion, a lot of compassion to ourselves, first of all. Aversion does not feel nice. Yeah. And it's, it's quite helpful to notice that. Yeah. Doesn't feel nice. And if we can bring a sense of compassion towards ourselves, that can be really helpful. The meta practice that we are doing today, this afternoon, that energy of kindness. A really great antidote um, to aversion. And if we're feeling on that spectrum of wanting this or not wanting that, just notice, is there something in my experience that I'm not noticing right now? And often these are kind of what we call the in-betweens, not pleasant enough or unpleasant enough to draw our attention. Can I bring interest to that? Bring interest to that, just the temperature of the air. Or the 
kind of sound of the birds. Something that's just there, it's neutral, I'm not noticing, I'm bringing the attention to that, kind of balance out that push and pull with the desire and aversion. Doubt, yeah, often the most tricky. Um, And often underpins a lot of the other hindrances because that sense of, I don't really think I can do this, is a form of doubt and often will be there as other hindrances are there. We really want to cultivate a sense of steadiness with it and simplicity. Saying, okay, this doubt is coming, but right now I'm here. <laughs> I'm in the meditation hall. There's a body here. There's a breath or sound here. Right now, just that. Yeah. Simplicity, grounding. Mm-hmm. Remembering our intention is also really helpful with doubt. Yeah. Why am I here? What's my intention? Can I connect to it? Can I let that support me? to meet the experience right now. And doubt can often come with the sense of, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not getting it, I'm not doing this right. Yeah. And so when that comes, just turning towards what you are doing right and reminding yourself, look at what I am cultivating. Yeah. I'm cultivating patience. I'm cultivating perseverance. Yeah. I'm cultivating resilience. Yeah, being with something that is not pleasant, maybe, and not easy to be with. I'm <coughs> cultivating this. Let's turn towards that. Is that worth cultivating? Yeah. Is that worth cultivating? Yeah. And there can kind of be the kind of faith or confidence or composure that then comes as an antidote to the doubt from that and checking in with our intentions and with the beautiful qualities that are being um, are being cultivated in the moment so I've kind of spoken about the the five hindrances here um, in the classic way where they're each defined yeah but I've also mentioned and just to highlight that often they will come together it won't be just one single one yeah there'll be a a combo yeah and when that happens, sometimes, a lot of the time, the important thing is just to acknowledge there's a hindrance or hindrances rather than actually really trying to, okay, is it 30% doubt with a little bit of aversion thrown in and some restlessness. Um, just a sense of, okay, there's this, yeah. there's dukkha yeah. in this form. And then remembering, yeah. it's not personal, not personal not personal, an opportunity. And there's always something that we can do. Even if it's really small, there's always something we can do. So remembering these are hindrances, remembering 
there's ways of attending to them that decrease the amount of dukkha, even if it's just by a little bit. And so things like increasing the space, always useful. Things like remembering it's not just me experiencing this. Right now, this is part of the beauty, I can say, of practicing with others. We can just sit here experiencing something and we can be sure that there's one other person at least in the hall right now um, or online feeling the same thing. Experiencing something really similar, not personal. So we're dissolving that identification, we're nourishing curiosity, aliveness and responsiveness. So this is really worth doing. Really worth doing. Because these habits of mind, they're not limited to meditation. Often we meet them while we're meditating. We think, oh, they only appear here. No. They're part of our conditioning. And they are there in our lives. And if we learn to attend to them skillfully, skillfully, in our meditation practice, then we are learning an, such a valuable and precious skill for our lives you know, beyond meditation practice. So valuable. And I was telling Mark the other day, you know, with perimenopause, menopause, whatever, wherever I am on that scale, um, you know, some, sometimes, you know, this has happened recently, suddenly I go through a bunch of times, days, a week, where there's so much aversion in the mind. Yeah. So much aversion in the mind. Just anything. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> anything that comes to like you. Yeah. And so grateful for the practice. Yeah. Because our biology is strong. Yeah. Hormones are strong. Yeah. It's such a strong thing. And then the remembering, yeah? This is not as real as it seems, yeah? And just that, yeah? And boy, this is dukkha. Sorry, girl. Boy and girl. (laughs) This is dukkha, yeah? This dukkha. And sometimes there's a lot I can do. Most of the time there's not a lot, but that not a lot is a lot. Yeah? Just that remembering. This is a way of looking shaped by the biology of this body right now. Yeah? And even if it means that I have to go through a day or a few days not believing a single thing my mind is telling me. Yeah? Which is, yeah, not very comfortable. Yeah? That's a lot. That um, it's possible to do. So at this view, I don't know. (laughs) Is it the hormones or is some validity there? I don't know. So I hold it lightly. And I try not to act on it. As much as I can. I forgive myself in moments that I have. So this is, you know, it's not an extreme example. Yeah? Most women experience something like this through their lives. And of course, men are also impacted by hormones. It's not just women. Yeah? So we start to see this movement. Yeah? We learn to do this 
in our meditation practice, but it's not limited. And this is kind of one of the ways uh, that we speak about freedom. Having freedom not to be limited to the habits of our biology, our social conditioning, our personal history conditioning, whatever it is. Beyond that. So, not personal. Not personal. An opportunity. Always something we can do. And even if it's a tiny little bit, that tiny little bit is super significant because that's how change happens on every level. Little bit by little bit by little bit. And then sometimes there's tipping points. But they take all those little bits to happen. So whether... Um, you know, there's a lot of well-being now. Yeah? And if there is, please enjoy it. Don't go looking for hindrances. <laughs> please, they'll come in their time. Enjoy it. Give yourselves to it. You know, whenever that is there. Yeah? And know that also through doing that, yeah, you're cultivating capacities. Mm-hmm. Getting to know the felt sense of the absence of. Mm-hmm. And when they appear... Okay, kindness, interest, acknowledgement, not personal, what can I do? And drop by drop, drop by drop, the bucket fills, as the Buddha apparently loved to say. So... Thank you for your listening, your presence, both all of you here and those online. And let's have a quiet moment to bring this to a close. May our practice together be a support to each of us and all of us in our journey towards expansion and heartfulness. For the sake of all beings everywhere.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.